Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is June 5th, and on Wednesday, Atlanta United is going to travel across our great country to California A to play LAFC at what was formerly a bank of something stadium, and it's now a BMO field arena stadium. Uh, A fantastic place, actually, to go and watch a soccer match if you haven't been. I would encourage you at some point to try to get there. It's near downtown LA, near USC. It's a beautiful place. It's a unique stadium. I would encourage you to go. But you're not here to hear my stadium recommendations. You're here to hear a preview of Atlanta United versus LAFC. So the kickoff is probably going to be around 1039 Wednesday p.m. So that's way, way past my bedtime. And we're going to get into that question here in a minute. In the mailbag portion, the second segment or third segment, depending upon how you count them, in this wonderful podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Let's run through some quick numbers about this match before we listen to Gonzalo Pineda and Brad Guzan. Atlanta United is 6-4-6, and six, coming off a 3-3 tie with New England against Mercedes, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium last week. A disappointing result for Atlanta United after an encouraging performance If you take out the first 23 seconds and you take out the last three minutes, Atlanta United probably looked as good as it ever has. But you can't take those out, and that's when it gave up two goals that ended the 3-3 draw. So, but now we're on to LAFC, managed by Steve Trundolo. At home, LAFC is 5-0-1. It's only played 12 games this year, which is really strange, but whatever. Atlanta United on the road is a very painful 1-3-4. LAFC goals for and against are 23-10. Atlanta United goals for and against are 32, which leads the league, and 28, which leads the league. And you're going to hear a little bit more about that from Pineda and Guzan in just a bit. And if you want to read my preview story for Wednesday's match, it'll be up tomorrow on AJC.com. That would be Tuesday on AJC.com. I would encourage you to click and read, and I'm going to tell you how to subscribe in just a little bit. So I'm not going to give you any more information, including my predicted 11 that will be in the info to know story that will also post on AJC.com tomorrow. I would encourage you again to please look for that. Tell me if you agree or disagree with my lineup predictions. We do know that Ozzy Alonso is not going to be with the team on Wednesday. He did play his first minutes in 14 months on Sunday for Atlanta United 2. And according to Jason Longshore, who was at the game, and Pineda, who was also at the game, Alonso looked good. Caleb Wiley, who's been with the U.S. participating in the Under-20 World Cup, will join the team in Los Angeles, but will likely be a reserve in the game day roster. They need to talk to him, see how he's feeling. Wiley started several games for the U.S. in the World Cup, but they were knocked out by Uruguay yesterday down in Argentina. I think it was two to nothing was the final score of that one. All right. So when we come back again, you're going to hear from Pineda. You're going to hear from Brad Guzan, and then we're going to dive into the mailbag. And I want to remind you, if this is your first time listening to the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. And we're back. Shane is again manning the controls. Daniel somehow has gotten out of Interpol prison for illegal crocheting. I'm not quite sure how. But he said he bribed a guard, so I needed to give the guard a shout-out on the line. So that's what I'm doing. So now we're going to get into Pineda talking about how Ozzy Alonso looked last night. He was very good. It was probably an easier game than we thought because uh, Miami took a red card in the first half. So they were tired for the second, ga- second half. The plan was bringing him 30 minutes. He did that. Um, but so the intensity probably probably wasn't there, but it was for me just the first time on the field after a year and two months, I think. Uh, so it was pretty good. I think uh, once he was on the field, the team kind of get some momentum, scored the second, third, fourth, fifth goal. The last one was a very good pass from him on the flank, receiving in between the lines, turning, playing behind to the winger, first time pass from Rita Rita, who did a great assist, the first assist, a couple of first time goals for some of our players so the development is doing very good I think and so very happy about the whole game and especially Ossie uh, having a solid amount of minutes um, so so very happy and positive about that. So Pineda said that they don't want Alonzo to travel to Los Angeles because he just played on Sunday they don't really like the idea of him sitting on an airplane for five hours there and five hours back on the knee. So that's why he's not going to LA on Wednesday. Caleb Wiley, as I said earlier, is flying from Argentina and will meet the team in Los Angeles. Omar Sadich is fully cleared to return. He trained today. We saw him out there. And Eric Lopez is still dealing with a high ankle sprain. And it doesn't seem likely that he is going to, well, he won't be on the LAFC roster, unlikely to be on the roster for DC United on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That's simple logic. If he's not training yet, there's no way he's going to be ready and to be back in time for Saturday. So it seems like he's still going to be a couple of weeks away. So the goal for Atlanta United was to get a home playoff game. This was the goal before the season, as stated by President Garth Lagerway, Vice President Carlos Bocanegra, Manager Gonzalo Pineda. That was, that was the target, a home playoff game. As I mentioned earlier, Atlanta United leads the league in goals scored and goals allowed. Currently, they're in sixth in the Eastern Conference standings. They have, of the teams that are within three points of them, both above and below them in the East, the toughest remaining schedule with opponents having average points totals of 25. Now, Atlanta United's total is skewed because it has to play Cincinnati, which is a Supporter Shield leader right now with a massive 39 points, eight better than second place in Nashville. That skews Atlanta United's total, but it's still part of it because some of the other teams that are within the three-point range above or below Atlanta also have to play Cincinnati. But it's still a very, very tough schedule coming in. But I did want to ask Pineda, what has got to change or be improved 
for the team to get to fourth, currently occupied by New England, three points ahead of Atlanta United before the end of the season. Well, from minute two to minute 92 <laughs> was great. Uh, probably a little lapsus in the middle with that second goal, but uh, I think uh, it's one of the best games I've seen this year for the team, uh, especially because of the opponent, because the op- opponent was very good. In England, I, I consider one of the top teams in this conference uh, with a top coach, with top players, and, uh, and we were, in my opinion, superior mm-hmm. without arrogance just superior, better than them. And I think we should have got the, the should, should have gotten the, the, the three points. Now we didn't get it, but the performance, the, the way we are improving week after week and the progression, I think is going in a positive direction. And now we're talking about consistency. And can we do that at home? Yes, can we do that away? Because it's been a a while since we don't play well, more than results results aside. It's been a while since we don't play well uh, uh, when we're at home. So that's a challenge for us, is we're going to a tough environment, fantastic stadium, very good atmosphere, very good team, very good coach again. And are we up to the standard? That's that's a challenge. So we have to show a lot of personality there and, and try to play as normal. I agree with Pineda. Not that my agreement matters one lick in the grand scheme of things. That against New England, the team probably played as well as it's played this season from the 30 seconds to the 92nd and 32nd mark. Um, it did give up that second goal, but other teams are trying to win too. So that can be kind of just set over to the side. Offensively, Atlanta United just dominated New England. I mean, own possession, own shots, own shots on goal, own created chances, own expected goals. And they did score three times. But they keep giving up these weirdly soft goals. And when you see it happening, you think to yourself, oh, okay, that's a one-off. That can't happen again. And then it happens again. And it happens again, and it happens again, and it happens again. And we're going to hear Pineda talking about why the team keeps giving up so many soft goals. Well, uh, I try to analyze all the goals that we considered and specifically the topics for each one of them. I still have to do a deeper look on clear chances and expected goals above 0.1, where those come from. Uh, but surprisingly, for example, we only concede one goal in, in transition in those moments that we've been talking about, both fullbacks very high in higher positions and that. We only concede one against Nashville, and that was we were attacking the final third, and they played Mokhtar, then they played the other kid was in Toronto, and then he scored the goal in transition. It's been the only clear transition moment when we're in the final third, and it's a long transition moment. So it's not many, actually. Uh, more uh, goals from restarts, three from throwings is very poor from us. We, we shouldn't uh, concede those from probably from the middle of the field, free kicks from middle of the field. Last goal, the, the last goal we conceded was from a free kick that was probably 20 yards ahead, ahead from the foul was, but maybe 20 is an exaggeration, but 10, 15 yards for sure. Uh, but anyways, it's a free kick in the middle of the field and then we are kind of not completely into the game and reading every situation. Did they put Carlos Hill there next to them? So it's for me more attention. Blocking crosses is one that is, yeah, the number of those goals is higher, uh, depending on the far, co- far post. There are a few that we work 
we, we worked yesterday and the day before on that, on how we can close them down better, how we can block the cross and have protection on the back, how we can be better organized. But for me, it's more than anything, it's attention and it's, and it's that uh, uh, full organization in those key moments. But I don't think it's, we concede many clear chances aside from mistakes. Mm. Like if we do a silly mistake in the build-up, whatever, okay, but it's not like we are uh, fragile on the back. I feel it's more key moments where we are not alert enough or we don't pay attention to little details and then we're punished. So, of course, it's a point of emphasis for us to improve on, uh, but also look at the positives. Look mm -hmm. at the, the amount of goals we score, the amount of pressure we are able to put in many games uh, to the opponents. Um, so I think we have... We have something to continue, something to start to do, something to stop doing. And I think we follow that process and we know clearly what is each one of those. Uh, we're going to improve. He's not wrong. I would just say as a counterpoint that this was a problem last year. It's been a problem going back to 2019, honestly, uh, several managers ago. You look at the stats uh, for most of Atlanta United's games, and they all tell a very similar story. Atlanta United gets more possession, gets more shots, maybe not as many shots on goal, but close to usually dominate shots on goal, creates more chances, but the opponent will finish with as many goals and sometimes a higher expected goals because they're getting more quality chances than Atlanta United. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit more in the mailbag, but that's just kind of my initial thought. So the summer transfer window opens in a month from today. Luis Arujo, of course, is leaving to go to Flamengo in Brazil. London United sold him for $10 million a couple of weeks ago. He has a few games left. He, he's scheduled to leave after the Red Bulls game on the 24th, I believe it is. So I was curious if Pineda has given thought to are they going to transition Arujo out of the starting lineup so that whomever is going to replace him can get some more minutes and become acclimated and his teammates can become acclimated to him. And here is what he had to say. Well, all of that is still is TBD. Uh, I'm, of course, I have some information, of course, <laughs> but uh, in, in both cases, but uh, I think I, I'm trying to leave the present. And now, for me now, is right now is LAFC, he's playing. Uh, then very short turnaround is DC, I think, if he's capable, he's going to repeat. Uh, and then we will see after that, we have a break and we have to assess many things. Uh, but as of now, I think he's playing. Um, then for future signings or playing, leaving, you know, this is crazy things in MLS in the middle of the season. The big main window for the whole world is open. So anything can happen, actually. And you never know the trades. I've been there with Sounders many times. So who knows? It's just... You know, part of where we live and, and how we live MLS uh, and and then it's Carlos, Guard, the scouts, us, coaching staff, we will have to regroup and try to see the best for the future and yeah, there, there could be moving parts of course in and in or out. So y'all are signing Messi, is that what you're saying? Well, we'll see. There's, <laughs> there's competition I heard so we'll see. Sometimes I'll throw out at United signing Messi just to see what Pineda's reaction is. Uh, the, he mentioned that I had asked two questions. The second question was if there's going to be any other Atlanta United players moving out during this summer window. I would not be surprised to see probably two players being moved out. And we might get into that in the mailbag. I don't know if I want to speculate on somebody's future. Uh, turning to Brad Guzan, 
Now, there's noisy audio in this. I apologize because there are people who have like real jobs, unlike my job, at the training ground, and they're doing their work. But Brad is on the verge of two milestones, which I wrote about. You can find on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC under the headline, I think, Guzan on the verge of two milestones with Atlanta United or something like that, or on AJC.com. Um, one is if he makes the start on Wednesday, and I assume he will, it'll be his 150th in a regular season match for Atlanta United. If he gets a shutout, which seems unlikely because the LAFC is a very, very good attacking squad. It's not a knock against Atlanta United. It's more a tip of the hat to LAFC. It would be his 50th clean sheet with Atlanta United in a regular season match. So that's, that's a pretty good ratio, 50 to 150. That's a pretty good relationship. Anyway, um, I was curious if those were any kind of things he thought about when he signed with the club from Middlesbrough way back at the beginning of the 2017 season. Professional sports, you don't think too far down the road. So never, never crossed my mind. Um, it's an honor to represent this club. It's an honor to be a part of this club. And so um, hopefully we can go and do that. I don't know what Brad was talking about in that last part. I think he was just kind of reciting something that the players always talk about with trying to go and win at LAFC. I did ask Brad about with a tough schedule upcoming, which includes several teams that are competing with Atlanta United for some of these playoff berths. How important was it to get off to a good start against LAFC? Listen, every every game in this league is difficult, whether you're playing the team at the top or the bottom. Um, so, you know, we are focused on LAFC, and uh, yeah, we're we're focused on those points, um, and then we'll we'll take the, the the games as they come after that. And then I asked Brad, the teams scored the most goals, but given up the most goals, which to me seems strange because it's veterans on the back line. It's guys who have played together now for a good bit. Why? No, that's something that we work on every day to, to try and get better. Um, and uh, obviously we, we need to improve uh, on that area of the field. Now, Guzan is normally not that short with his answers, but the interview had to start with me asking him what happened on that first goal against New England. He didn't. I don't think he liked the question based upon his response and his body language after, but it's something I had to ask because it's our first chance to talk to him since last week. Um, by the time we were able to get to the locker room after Pineda's post game, some of the players, including Guzan, had already left. I, I don't know if that affected his mood for the rest of this interview, but usually he gives pretty insightful, good answers. This time they were they were fairly short, um, and that's that's okay. I didn't like having asked Brad about that goal. He didn't like answering that question about that goal. Um, but that's sometimes how the job goes and how the uh, back and forth goes between journalists and the players and teams they cover. So followed that other question up with asking Brad that while he was rehabbing his MCL, was there anything he saw going on on the field that he pointed out or would, is trying to help the team improve? No. Um like I said, we, we go to work every day in terms of looking to get better uh, as, as individuals, as a group. Um, and so uh, that's, that's always the, the goal, day in and day out. And, and now we've, not a, we've, we've got to translate that into, into games and, and earning points. All right. When we come back, we'll dive into the mailbag. Do I need a better word for mailbag? Because who uses a mailbag anymore? Mailbox? 
online office stuff, TPS reports. I've got no idea. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. So if you know someone who's not a podcast listener, you cannot tell them about this special because you've violated some sort of rule that I don't know. But if you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com. Plus, you get access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. And we have a lot of newsletters, and actually, they're pretty cool. And if you haven't seen, again, I keep promoting this, because, but I love it so much. Our Sunday Sports Extra section, which you can read on the line, it's fantastic. It has so much information. You could spend a good hour easily going through that thing and learning all sorts of cool stuff. It's great photos, great layout. It's easy to digest. It's bite-sized morsels. You can come back to it during the day. You can go back to it during the week if you wanted to. Anyway, consider it. Join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. We have a voicemail. I want to remind y'all that the number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. If I were to see you on the street and you were to ask me, what's the only phone number I need to know ever? I would tell you it's 404-526-2527. Shane, bless his heart, has been waiting all week for someone to call in, and he got one today. And it's our good friend Brett from Inman Park again. Hey, Doug, the LA Galaxy recently parted ways with their president, Chris Klein. I'm wondering if Carlos Bocanegra, a Southern California native who went to UCLA, uh, is a target or has any interest in taking over at the LA Galaxy and trying to uh, fix things there. Do you think that's a possibility? That's a good question, and it's a very natural question. Um, I don't think that that would be the job uh, that Bocanegra would be interested in, at least just right now. Chris Klein was the president of the Galaxy. He wasn't the vice president or technical director of the Galaxy. The president, uh, as you all know from Darren Eel's time, from Garth Lagerwey's time, is not just the person who's focusing on the on-field product. It's the person who's focusing in setting the direction for the business, for which includes the marketing, the advertising, the promotions, in addition to the the players. Um, I don't know how much experience Bocanegra has with the business side of running a soccer organization, the business business side, the, the ledger side, not the player business side of running a franchise. So I, I don't know if that was something that that he would be interested in. Um, if it were maybe the vice president's job or the technical director, maybe. And I'm not. I'm just speculating on that. But yeah, yeah, I don't see that path there for for Carlos. Um, could he do the job? Sure. Would he want to do the job? I think he enjoys the soccer part of it more than the business part of it. But that's just my interpretation. On to Nick friend of the podcast who says this may be a deep question. I'll put on my hip waders, but what are your thoughts on Pineda's offensive tactics? Do you remember another recent time when Atlanta has broken down a low block like they did last Wednesday? 
So here's the, the thing, and, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. There are very few teams in the world that are good at breaking down a low block. It's true. I mean, you go back and look at Atlanta United under Tata. They had difficulty breaking down a low block. And that's the manager that everyone holds the other managers to, understandably. But they had difficulty in breaking down a low block. I can remember asking Tata about this several times. And his response was usually, everybody has trouble breaking it down. For those who don't know what a low block is, a low block is when the opponent puts uh, a super majority of its players in the third of the field closest to its goal. A mid block is when it has not a super majority, but a majority of its players in the middle third of the field. And, and Atlanta United's had typically had trouble, even when they had Julian Gressel, a fantastic deliverer of the ball. They had trouble breaking down a low block. What Atlanta United would typically do is get that first goal when to- teams would try to go toe-to-toe, then wear them down and beat them with counterattacks when the other team was trying to throw numbers forward to score. It's what I wish Atlanta United would try a little bit more of, but they don't, and that's okay. But yeah, so I, I do I remember now the reset time? I'm sure there has been. One doesn't spring to mind, but I'm an old man, and I forget things pretty quickly, uh, particularly when all the games kind of bleed together after a while. George says, what are the dates for the summer transfer window, and who do you think is going, and what positions are you targeting? Now, George, I'm wondering if you are a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, because I have written this date, I think, 51,322 times in the past month. It's been in my stories that you can find on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC or on the Atlanta United channel on AJC.com. But the window opens July 5th and then it closes in August. We already know that Luis Arujo is going. I'm assuming, perhaps incorrectly, it depends on the bids that come in for Tiago Almada. He could be going. There's a chance Caleb Wiley, if Atlanta United could say he can't turn down bid for him, he could be going. Miles Robinson, who was out of contract at the end of the year, would a major league soccer team offer a trade to Atlanta United to get him as a rent a center back for the next few months to help them with, with a championship push? I doubt that Atlanta United would make that deal unless it was good, good value. But th- those are some of the players that could be going. What positions would be targeted? Obviously, right wing. Unless they, the plan is to move Etienne over there full-time, which they could put Caleb Wiley at left wing, in which case they may not need that DP. I do think that whether they have one DP slot open or two DP slots open, center midfielder is going to be a position that, that the team targets. It's, In my opinion, no one has won that job. It keeps getting rotated out because of injuries. No one has really, to me, stood out, but... Center midfielder and defensive midfielder are hard positions for me to judge value of because they're not what they do. And when they do it well, you don't notice it as often. Um, And they're not going to score a lot of goals. They're not going to get a lot of assists. So there's, there's not that kind of visual obvious impact, 
But we do know that Hazetu is in the final year of his contract, I believe. They are going to need a center midfielder. They're, whether Almada goes this summer, he's going to go in the winter if he doesn't go this summer. They're going to need an attacking midfielder, and it's such an important position. It wouldn't surprise me if they don't go ahead and sign a DP there if they can find someone. I still think the team is going to hold. If they end up with two DP slots open, I still think they're going to hold on to one uh, until the winter window, if they have two. Steve says, this was an email. My son and I used to watch every Atlanta United game. I think we have seen two that were on Fox this year. Apple TV is not worth the price, and sadly, neither are the five stripes. It seems almost cruel now that Atlanta had such tremendous success in its very beginning and has been mediocre or worse for the last three years. The team has no promotion that I can see. I can name three players if pressed, Robinson, Guzan, and Tiago. To me, MLS is a double-A or triple-A equivalent to baseball. Build up young players and then sell them for a high transfer fee. What's the point? I don't know, man. It already sounds like you kind of got your mind made up. Um, and if you've seen two games on Fox and you can only name three players, that's, I'm a little surprised by that. Uh, MLS being a double-A or triple-A equivalent to baseball, like if, if you're comparing it to some, the big four in Europe, I, I guess I could see that. Otherwise, I think I disagree. Um, build up young players and then sell them for a high transfer fee. I, you know, there are some examples of that, but there are also many more examples of them buying expensive players or bringing them over or developing their own homegrown players and selling them. He continues, is TV viewership better with Apple than it was with Bally? I don't know what the numbers are for Apple. Apple doesn't share them. Uh, Jonathan Tannenwald, who goes by uh, the goalkeeper, fantastic reporter for the Philadelphia newspaper there, wrote a story last week in which Apple talked about how happy they were with the subscribers and the engagement, but they didn't share any numbers. I would encourage you to go follow Jonathan. He does a fantastic job with a lot of different beats. Uh, in addition to Philadelphia, he works for the Inquirer, by the way, covering the Philadelphia Union. He also does a lot um, with the U.S. women's national team, with the U.S. men's team, and is very, very good with TV stuff. And our email of the week, Shane put in a lot of work in the past week finding that sound effect. It's very, very difficult to find. Comes from Ivis who says, in honor of Wednesday's late West Coast kickoff, what are your top three favorite things to do after 10.30 p.m.? Uh, sleep. Sleep. And sleep. Because you usually have to get up a couple times in the middle of the night. So that makes three. It reminds me of the oh, 96 Rock used to have this guy. Uh, what was his name? Andy, the mayor of Mableton. I think he was a homeless guy. So it's probably not good that they were taking advantage of a homeless guy, but he would call in and they would ask him questions. And one time they, they asked him, name the three places that you've been arrested. And Andy said, uh, Hooters, uh, Hooters, um, Hooters. And they said, okay, you name three. And that was the end of it. I don't know why that always sticks in my head, but it does. All right. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. As always, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones. Y'all take care.